0: Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute present The Formed Book Club, Catholic book lovers unpacking good books, chapter by chapter. If you like us, please help us by subscribing and by reviewing us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might listen. And don't forget to sign up for weekly updates and study questions at formedbookclub.ignatius.com. Welcome to The Formed Book Club. We continue to discuss going de Lubach, The Church, Paradox and Mystery. We're on the chapter entitled Pagan Religions and the Fathers of the Church. Why is this important? It's important because of what Lumen Gentium, the Vatican II Council of the Church, says, and it's important because of the commentary which de Lubach gives, which covers a variety of different interpretations of the Church's teaching. Why pagans? The question is this, what is the relation of pagans, that is those who came before Christ or lived after Christ and do not know the Christian message? What is their relation to salvation? Are they saved? Are they damned? Do they go to limbo? What does the Church teach? And then secondly, to what extent is it true that there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church? That's the famous patristic expression. Extra ecclesiam nola Salo says, Outside the church, no salvation. What does that mean? Must one be baptized and enrolled on a parish register? Uh, what happens to those who live before Christ? These are all very important questions. And uh, I would recommend something that uh, Vivian had alluded to earlier on. You might want to at least read uh, chapter, or section 13 of Lumen That has to do with the salvation of those who are not recognized visibly in the Catholic Church. That's section 13. So we continue by my uh, lights here on page 102.
1: Can I contradict you right at the beginning, Father? (laughs) Go ahead. Well, I I thought we were beginning from 101, which I I do actually have just one quote from Augustine I'd like to quote here.
0: Oh, very good. All right.
1: I think it poetically summarizes the whole discussion of, of, of paganism and the church, which has which gone before it in this chapter. So Augustine says, it is, this is four lines down on page 101. It is one thing, therefore, to look on the homeland from afar, but quite another to find the path that alone leads there and to adhere to this path. So the idea of paganism looking at the homeland from a distance and and, and, and getting the best understanding of it, that one can from surveying it from a distance as distinct from the the, uh, the path that leads there infallibly, which is the church. And uh, the, the difference between the two, I just thought that Augustine puts it so succinctly and beautifully there that I wanted to just highlight it.
0: Very good. But the question is, as they look at the homeland from afar, is there a deep chasm which separates them that they will never find the path or the homeland and are doomed to looking at it from afar, or is it possible that they can reach the homeland even though they have not seen the clearly marked path which is Christ in His church? That's the well, question. I would, I, would, I would say, and
1: I believe I'm in, in, in keeping with the teaching of the church here, that the path uh, which is the church is illumined to those people that uh, have satisfied the uh, baptism of desire following their death. In other words, that the path uh, continues purgatorially. Um, so that they, they do need to follow the path. Um, uh, so if all they can do is see it from afar, because they do not know the path, and it's not their fault that they don't know the path, of course, they're not going to be doomed to hell for an ignorance for which they're not culpable. But there is, uh, you do have to come to God the Father through God the Son. Uh, and that's the path.
0: Very good. Well, on page 102, uh, again. It may be deceptive when he says things which appear very current or flowing, you know, And, and uh, but almost every word is charged with meaning. The new paragraph there, what appears from the thinking of the fathers, taken very broadly, as we've just done, is that if one may discover, either in the spontaneous movement of the human spirit, that is, mankind, human beings, each one of us, just as we are in creation, without having necessarily encountered the church or the gospel, or in the theories that has elaborated, preparations for welcoming the gospel, this can only be because man is created for salvation. Very important. The whole point of creation is salvation in the sense of living with God and each other eternally in bliss. That's what we're created for. And it is a gospel that brings the gift and revelation. That's important too. The gospel is not just a revelation of what's already there, but it's also a gift. It's it's something truly new in the world. It is a gospel that brings the gift and revelation of salvation to him. God's creation, as a result, entails consequences of which the fathers of the church and the great medieval theologians had a more unified, more organic view than later theology generally has had. Now, that's a a subtle criticism of what happened to a overly developed uh, medieval scholasticism, which distinguished clearly between nature, that is creation, and grace, which is the call to salvation, either originally or after the fall as redemption. And so developed what we call a a two-tiered or 2 two-storied view of the universe. You've got you've got God's creation, which is exists fully in itself, and then it comes the invitation to salvation, which is grace, which is layered on top of that. But prior to that grace, we have natura pura, pure nature, mere creation. And the Lubak is saying, you know, that's not as unified or as an organic a view that the father, as the fathers had, they, they saw something which was much more unified. Anyway, that, that's the that's his statement. There, he's going to develop that as we go on. I I turn the microphone over to others if they wish to comment or have another page they want to discuss.
2: Well, um, if I may, I have a quote uh, that it might be jumping too far ahead. We can always go back, but on page one twenty
0: three. Wow. Okay.
2: Toward the top, that the grace of Christ is active outside the visible church, her teaching and her sacraments is a truth that has always been recognized. I One of the things I've learned from this chapter, Father, is that what you just explained, that this teaching that the fathers understood sort of got obscured later on. And that was presented to me as having been the traditional teaching that Vatican II diverged from. But in fact, what de Lubach is explaining is that, no, this more organic view is the older teaching. Okay, so as he says, a truth that has always been recognized, though it has regrettably suffered occasional eclipses, the famous axiom, and this is what we're talking about, extra ecclesium nulla salus, meaning no salvation outside the church, did not bear the same general sense that many today imagine when it was first enunciated by the fathers. It applied in certain very concrete situations to the cases of those responsible for schism, revolt, or betrayal. That but, anonymous but, but, Christians pause there for a
0: moment, because it, that's that's very very important. That the expression originated from reflecting on those who had received the gospel, had accepted the gospel, and then rejected it, denied it, turned into schism or heresy, uh, they have seen the truth, received the grace, responded to it, and then turned away. For them, if they remain turned away and don't repent, there's no salvation. Because now they've, they've been within the visible church explicitly, and they've turned away from that.
1: Can I just say something, just by way of clarification? And I think that this whole problem is solved if we understand the Church in its fullness, which is the Church triumphant, the Church suffering, uh, and the Church militant. There aren't, there won't be any practicing Muslims in heaven. There may be people that were Muslims when they died that are in heaven, but they would have to go through the purgatorial path of understanding Jesus Christ before they get to the beatific vision. So, you know, if you understand it in that sense, there's, I, I don't see there being an issue or a problem. Um, and the only other thing I want to say as well is, from, the, from going back to page 102, that the Lubeck does say the fathers of the church and the great medieval theologians. So there's not a schism between the fathers and the great medieval theologians, even if there's a problem with with the elements of a decayed scholasticism, which I have no problem with accepting.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. By, and yes. by, the way, by the way, I mean, if we're fortunate enough to make it into purgatory, I mean, we'll have our Muslim brothers and sisters with us. It's not as if they go to purgatory and we don't. <laughs> Great. Absolutely. We will
1: we, 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 we'll all need to be purged of those things that make us unworthy to be in the beatific vision. And it will be different for different people. I, I agree. Absolutely.
0: That's right. Continue, Vivian.
2: Uh, That anonymous Christians will be found in diverse milieu where one way or another the light of the gospel has penetrated, no Christian could possibly still deny. So uh, as I say, the thing that surprised me so much was his assertion that this is the older teaching. Um, And I want to point out, too, his emphasis throughout the chapter on Man being created for salvation. As you started, Father, you started with that quotation that man is made for salvation. So in other words, man is made for God. And this is where the new universal catechism promulgated under the uh, under John Paul II. This is its starting point.
0: This yes. is where
2: the catechism begins. And it's a good place to begin, isn't
0: it? It's it, a very good place to begin. Uh, although I think beginning with Lumen Gensum is also good, uh, but this idea of man is made for God could be ambiguous. Uh, it could be said that in a natural order we are made for God, but if we have not come to union with God through Christ in that direct way, the best we can do is a kind of a limbo of that we call it, where we don't have. We're not raised to sons and daughters of God. We don't participate in the divine life. We're not divinized, as the Greeks would say. We're just, you know, looking at God from afar and enjoying the fact that he exists and we praise him and thank him, but we're not sharing his life. Uh, that's not what Dulebach means when he says made for God. We are made, this is, I mean, we say it so glibly, I say it so glibly, but it's, some, it's something deeply mysterious. That we're actually made to be divine, to be one with God, to be adopted sons and daughters, to be brothers and sisters of Christ, living the divine life. What does that mean? We can only glimpse at it, but it it does not mean simply watching from far something which we don't participate in. So, made for God can be it has to be clarified as made for full union with God.
1: And I think the whole of this chapter shows that those who uh, who through an accident of birth happen to be on this earth before the incarnation are not thereby excluded from the beatific vision, because that would be obviously an act of, of arrant injustice. Um, and uh, that's not Jesus Christ is 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 both mercy and justice. He's not going to exclude human creatures just through an accident of birth and through an ignorance, which is not their fault. So that, you know, so that that I mean, but again, the problem is solved by an understanding that after we die, there will be a, a process of, of cleansing and um, uh, enlightenment. Uh, and revelation whereby we come to understand Christ as we need to so that we can go into the fullness of his presence in paradise.
0: Yes, but here was the problem, Joseph, that they had in the fathers of the church in the Middle Ages, that grace is unmerited. Grace is totally gratuitous, and that therefore God in creating us had no obligation to raise us up to the level of divine of participation in his life. And therefore, the fact that God would create mankind and then only call some of them to this higher life of participation is not an injustice because no one merits it. No one deserves it. And so there was this idea of the masa damnata, which actually Augustine actually promulgated himself, that you know it, because of original sin, why God created us and he created us for life with him, but we turned away. That was our choice, and that was that contaminated the whole human race. His grace now comes as a pure gift, but not to everybody. He doesn't owe it to anybody, so he gives it to some. And then, if we look and say, Oh, well, you know, we're blessed we have it, but those who didn't have it, too bad for them. Uh, that was. A very common Christian view for many centuries. Uh, and, and partly that's what Lumen Jensen is trying to correct, not that it wasn't understood before. As De as Lubach says, in the fathers and the great medieval theologians, this was understood, what you call the baptism of desire, you know, that they were baptized because they desired. By the way, this idea is that if you, for example, uh, are a non-Christian, non-Catholic, non-practicing, pagan, atheist, whatever, uh, and you come to see the truth of Christ, and you go through RCIA, you know, whatever that means, religious, whatever. What does it mean, Vivian?
2: <laughs> right of Christian initiation for okay. adults.
0: You go through that, and you're going to get baptized on Easter Sunday. But, you know, on... On uh, Mardi Gras, you go down to Bourbon Street in in New Orleans, and you you know you're walking around, and some guy walks out of an alley and, and machetes you, you know, and you're you're dead. Well, you weren't baptized. So does that mean you're not? No, you you wanted to be baptized. You, you intended it. You desired to be baptized. So that's that's one idea of baptism of desire. The other idea is that those who have never seen the gospel, either prior to Christ or after Christ in different lands, whatever, but they, they recognize what they're supposed to be as human beings. And they, they have a conscience. They want to do what is right. And they even recognize many of them, uh, some kind of a Supreme being or some being above the world, you know, supernatural. That also is a kind of implicit desire for baptism. And so baptism desire, uh, doesn't simply mean I was planning to get baptized but on the way to the church I stepped on a you know a, a landmine or fell in a pothole or something like that.
1: Yeah and also uh, going back to what you said at the beginning of all that one of the perversions that makes Calvinism so difficult to to swallow is the idea that people are predestined to hell. You know the, the idea that God would predestine People to hell and predestine other people to heaven. Uh, it's so sort of, it's, it's like God as uh, as the overseer of, a, of an apartheid system. <laughs> you know, if you're privileged, right. you know, you're going to heaven. And if you are part of the underclass, you're going to hell. I and mean, clearly that's hard to stomach. And clearly that's not what authentic
0: Christianity is ever taught. That's true. and But d- important, this is what led to this idea okay, even if we accept the fact that no one deserves heaven and that God chooses some for the beatific vision and not others, does that mean the others go to hell? Because they're not in the beatific vision. And they wrestled with that for centuries. And one of the patristic ideas was, well, there must be, therefore, because God is not unjust, there must be some circumstance, some situation, some place for those who, you know, have not committed personal sins or lived a good life but we're not given the great special grace of baptism and, and being called in the mystical body. And so that's where the idea of limbo came. Now, there's two, there's two, it's called limbo patrum, the limbo of the fathers. And that's this idea that before Christ came, because grace did not exist in the world, these people lived a good life. They died and they were waiting, waiting room, limbo, not purgatory, limbo, waiting for Christ to come. Christ comes and then they're saved. The second view of limbo, is after Christ has come, the grace is there, the gospel is preached, some receive it, respond to it, they are admitted to the benefit of vision upon death, others never heard of it, live a good life, what happens to them? Well, they go to limbo, a natural paradise, that is, happiness, you know, plenty of beer and wine, you can watch the NFL, or if you're a woman, you can do something else, I don't know, Uh, but you're not you're not with the saints in heaven, so that idea. There's still there's still people who insist there must be limbo because grace is is totally gratuitous, and those who haven't got it, they may not go to hell, but we can't bring them to heaven. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's where
1: Dante places Virgil, um, and it's indeed where Virgil places the the the, the virtuous. Uh, um, so yeah, so this idea of of, of, a, of a sort of paradise, which isn't heaven, but I must confess, I find it very difficult to. Think that watching NFL is going to have anything to do with any sort of limbo?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you can I mean, watch, you know, can watch mean, cricket or what you call football over <laughs> in the other side of the pond. It's,
1: it's getting better.
0: Oh uh, yeah, or you can spend your life uh, reading, rereading Shakespeare. You know, eternity rereading Shakespeare. You enjoy that? Reading Shakespeare with the
1: backdrop to an English cricket game in a village in an English inn. There could be worse ways of spending eternity.
0: <laughs> So, but, but we'll, we'll cover this later, but just so I, I want to say right now that uh, I believe this document and the and the teaching of the best fathers of the church uh, mean that there are only two places, you know. There's is, is the four last things, you know, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. There's not five last things, you know. There's not death, judgment, heaven, limbo, or hell. There's death, judgment, heaven, or hell. And the question is, uh, how does that access to heaven, that path you mentioned, Joseph, that the pagans look at from afar? How does one who has lived a good life but doesn't know Christ uh, get on that path? And again, that's section eighteen, paragraph eighteen of Lumen Gentium. Whew, okay, well, as I said, this is I mean, this is really. Very, very central theological reflection we're talking about here, which is why this book is such a valuable book. Uh, I have something on page 108. The name before there?
2: Well, if I may, this, you know, this word predestination, here's a, this is a question. This word predestination is in the epistles. And uh, you mentioned, Joseph, of how Calvin interpreted that. Um. Isn't it possible, though, it, I mean, it seems, if I take the loop correctly, every person God creates, he's predestining for life in him. That's his will for that person.
1: Yeah. His I'm will not, for of that. Course. But, uh, of course. I mean, as but, always, but, hey, Wait, 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 if I may karma, finish. Karma.
2: I, yeah, but so, you know, if we're talking about what God or, ordains and wills, that's certainly what God wills for all. But clearly our will our will can oppose this right and so that's where the, <laughs> that's that's why we all need to be purified and and we even need the will to say yes to the purification and so this cooperation that we're supposed to be involved in in god's saving action that seems to be where at the end of the day that's what's going to be what the destiny turns out to be
1: Vivian, amen and hallelujah. I agree completely. That's the, that's the Catholic understanding of predestination. God God predestines, in other words, wills that all of us are with him, but we have the right to refuse. That's the Catholic understanding. Obviously, I was talking about the Calvinistic understanding, of this apartheid system, you know, where yes. God chooses some to be with him and it excludes others.
2: Yes, you, you, you said that that was Calvin's view, and I was just bringing up that Calvin wouldn't have had a view if the word hadn't been there. And this word has been grappled with, you know, by different theologians through the centuries. So to get at, well, what is the Catholic understanding of that word? That's what I was trying to get at. Father, is yes, it- I, agree.
0: I agree with you. Yes. And I've quoted before, I mentioned before Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1, uh, especially Ephesians 1, that God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavens by having chosen us before the foundation of the world in his son, Jesus Christ. We talked about that last session, and that's a mystery. But part of the problem is the idea of being predestined. There's no pre or post in God. So there's no, there's no predestination in God. There is a destination, all right, that, as you said, Vivian, he has created us with the intention of having us live with him forever in the beatific vision with him and with each other. But human will, he gives us freedom to accept that or reject it. And so the problem was the question comes up, well, God must have known before he created who was going to accept and who was going to reject. And therefore, he created some people knowing in advance that they would reject him. Well, as Joseph, you brought up last week, we talked about this we got to be very careful when we talk about time and God. And we have to think dialectically. You know, that history is real. You know, there's a before and after that we experience. It's not It's not just uh, an illusion. And yet the other side is that in God there's no history. Uh, there, there's no before and after. He doesn't wait to see what's going to happen. He doesn't pre-know or predestine anything. But in the midst of that mystery, we have to say just what you said, Vivian, that God intended all of us to be with him forever in paradise. That's why he created us. And that grace in which we're created is present from the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world. But within that history, within time, uh, we have the opportunity, which the angels didn't have, of rejecting or accepting and having a chance to repent. The angels had a choice too, but there was no time for them to repent. It was an irrevocable choice once and for all. We're lucky we're not angels, because if I were an angel, I'd probably be on Lucifer's side. I probably would have rejected God, you know? I mean, I've done it before in my life on earth, but because I'm a human being, uh, you know, it wasn't irrevocable. I had a chance to repent, you know, go to confession.
2: And doesn't the scripture say that, which is is not an excuse to sin now, but that having been redeemed, the glory that we will share with God is actually gonna be higher than that of the angels.
0: Well, yes, uh, yes. And there's a beautiful poem by a wonderful Lutheran pastor who became a Catholic, I think in the 16th or 17th century, Angelus Silesius. Uh He had these little, these little two verse poems, okay, which are just mon- marvelous theological poems, but one of them is, so it goes well with the angels, but even better for us on earth, for none of them can become God's bride. So Mary, higher than only, queen of the angels, but we in Mary and through Mary, therefore in Christ, we are higher than the angels. And by the way, the place where this is, most beautifully expressed, I think, is in Paralander by C.S. Lewis, chapter 17, the final cosmic dance in which you have the angels bowing down to the plants and the human beings bowing down to the angels and so on. Everybody uh, bowing down to each other. It's beautiful. You know, we've gone for a half hour. (laughs) We haven't covered many pages, but we certainly covered a lot of material. I say let's take a break and come back next week. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right. God bless everyone. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Formed Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.